0: On January 23rd, the 35-year-old head of Venezuela's National Assembly, Juan Guaido, declared himself president of Venezuela, promising he would serve in that role on an interim basis before free and fair elections could be held. He was quickly recognized as the legitimate head of state by the United States, Canada, the Organization of American States, and many countries in Latin America. Of course, the de facto president, Nicolas Maduro, is rejecting this claim. At time of recording, he still controls the government and, most importantly, the security services. Maduro is also backed by other countries in the region and key international players like Russia. There is now an extremely dangerous standoff underway in Venezuela, the outcome of which is far from certain. On the line to provide some context to help you understand this crisis is Ivan Briscoe. He is the regional director for Latin America with the International Crisis Group. We kick off discussing the political context of this situation, including how a relatively unknown politician came to declare himself president. We then discuss the crucial role of the military and security services in determining the political future of Venezuela and whether or not it was a mistake for the United States and other countries to quickly rally behind Guaido. This is obviously a very rapidly unfolding situation, and I'm confident that this conversation will give you the context and background you need to interpret events as they unfold in the coming days and weeks. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com to peruse our robust archives of episodes about events, issues, and global trends that are critical for understanding the world, but don't often get the exposure they deserve. That's most of what this uh, show is all about. If you're a longtime listener, thank you. I've recently set up a rewards program in which you can get some freebies and other bonuses for simply telling friends and colleagues about the show. To learn more about the referral program and the rewards you can unlock by simply sharing the show, just click on the link on the homepage or in the description field of this episode in iTunes or wherever you are listening. All right, now here is my conversation with Ivan Briscoe of the International Crisis Group. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting season four, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: Well, Juan Guaido is from the Voluntad Popular Party, which has been a prominent opposition party for the last few years. But he's a very junior politician within that party. He's only 35 years old. So why, the question is, has he assumed such prominence that he has declared himself with the opposition support to be interim president. I mean, the reason for this is that the leader of the party has been under arrest for the last five years, Leopoldo López, and the two other senior figures within the party have been harassed uh, politically, judicially, left the country, and are no longer able to to assume such, uh, such power. So on the 5th of January, as part of a, a general rotation of control between the different opposition parties that, that, that run, that have a majority in the National Assembly, it was, uh, it was his turn or his party's turn to be the, the chair of, of the National Assembly. Now, why is that such an important uh, detail? Well, his nomination as chair of the National Assembly came just days, five days, before Maduro was uh, re-inaugurated, um, having supposedly won elections in May of last year. The point being here that those elections are are contested, uh, disputed. Uh, There are substantial evidence to suggest that there was rigging, uh, unfair, that it was not um, an equitable uh, vote, that it was uh, uh, biased towards the government, and as a result of which, there are grounds to believe that the election result was not fair and that Maduro was not uh, is not le- a legitimate president in his second term. No one contests that his first term uh, was not based on a legitimate vote, but the second term um, has come in, uh, has fallen under the shadow of, of considerable doubt. And that is the basis for all the political drama we are now seeing. The assumption that uh, the, 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 the second term is not legitimate And the rise of a new politician who has taken charge of the National Assembly at a moment in which for many people, particularly for the opposition, that is now the only legitimate democratic institution in Venezuela.
0: Um, So... We are speaking on Thursday, January 24th. On Wednesday, the 23rd, uh, Juan Guaido uh, declared Mm -hmm. himself president. Can can you just sort of discuss the events leading up to that rather dramatic moment that we saw yesterday? Well,
1: well indeed. I mean, all of this makes little sense, were it not for the general background, um, the, the state in which Venezuela finds itself, which is... I mean, Venezuela is in a terrible economic crisis with extreme hyperinflation, scarcity of food, and emigration so far uh, in the last few years of 3 million Venezuelans out of the country, which the UN expects will increase by another 2 million in in the next year. But to put that um, in context, so that's,
0: that's like maybe that's 10 to 15% right. of the population. This is a huge that, migration.
1: Exactly right. If it reaches 5 million, we're talking about a sixth of the entire Venezuelan population. Exactly, it's a huge number, many of them going, obviously, to neighboring countries in, in Latin America. So we have this context of, of, of terrible economic demise, of a, a closing down of all democratic space by a government. The a government, which has been in power now for, uh, for uh, 20 years, Um, first through Chavez, then from Nicolas Maduro, and which has over the last few years basically closed down um, all democratic space and taken authoritarian control over the country. So the context of Venezuela is one of economic uh, collapse, of of political um, closure of democratic space, of intensive um, hostilities between the opposition and the government, Uh, which are reflected on the international stage. So you see a great polarization between the supporters of the government of Maduro, Russia, China, Turkey, certain other countries in Latin America, Cuba, obviously, and those which are opposed um, to Maduro and maintain that now is the moment in which Maduro must leave power because he has not been democratically re-elected. So a substantial number of Latin American countries and the United States mm-hmm. and Canada. That being the context, what we've seen since 10th of January is that extreme polarization and great tension in a context of great economic despair playing out on the streets and in the politics of, of Venezuela. So in the last few days, we've seen wildcat protests Mass assemblies of opponents um, of Venezuela, of, of the Maduro government, calling for, for for radical change, calling for the usurper uh, of Maduro to be to be thrown out of power, and growing movement in internationally, in Latin America and North America, for Maduro to leave. And if he is not leaving, there is no sign at the moment that he is leaving. For him, basically, to be declared an illegitimate president with no entitlement to power. And that is the situation which, since the 23rd of January, we effectively find ourselves in.
0: So, so does... Why do I have like a base of, of popular support? Um, does he have like a constituency, uh, or what is his constituency? Cause obviously he does have one. Cause there's this massive, uh, crowd that cheered on his sort of self-proclaimed, um, inauguration as, as sort of interim president. So who, who makes up his constituency?
1: i mean it remains you know an extraordinary fact that a politician who was until a few months ago utterly unknown has been able to crystallize such an extraordinary remobilization mobilization of an opposition movement which was effectively, until the end of last year, largely dormant. Um, how has he been able to do that? Well, I think a part of it is the, is the latent despair and angst and, and, and indignation of the Venezuelan people, which he has managed to, to capture. I mean, for the, 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 the most part of last year, the opposition was in, in an appalling state, demoralized and divided. He seems to have re-energized it with a very clear call for a return to democracy and a return to constitutional rule and with and with really strong support from um, across the Americas. And so that has sort of catalyzed uh, a public reaction which has been seen in these, these large gatherings of the last few weeks of the, of the wildcat protests in areas of Caracas, which were formerly very close to Chavismo, which were low-income neighbourhoods loyal to, 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 to the cause over the last two decades, and he seems to have brought all these elements together and therefore when he declared himself interim president on the 23rd of January, it, was, uh, it you know, has been applauded by many Venezuelans. But the bottom line is, is despite all this opposition, which is evident to uh, to Nicolas Maduro and to his government, um, it is not clear at all that the uh, the, the, the the basic uh, structures of power of coercive power, military power, and armed force in Venezuela, which sustain Maduro's government at the moment, are going to follow suit and 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 move towards the the opposition and the interim president
0: Well well so, so you seem to be suggesting that um, Maduro's base of support is is being eroded but does he still can sustain or, or have any semblance of, of popular support and if so, you know who, who makes up his, his base?
1: I mean, of course he does. There's no doubt. We're talking 20 to 25% of, the, of their Venezuelan electorate, which in poll after poll, and even in a context of hyperinflation and economic collapse, uh, maintains that it supports the government of Nicolás Maduro. Well, why is that? Well, I think the critics, the skeptics, well they're being basically paid off by the government they're receiving food rations, they're receiving free housing, they're receiving perks and jobs and privileges which keep them allied. I think that is a slightly too cynical point of view. You have to remember that Hugo Chavez, which is of course the precursor of of Nicolas Maduro and and, and the creator of of Chavismo, was an incredibly charismatic and effective politician who won election after election until he, he died in 2013, and that polarisation in Venezuela today, um, exists, and Chávez maintains the loyalty of a part of the electorate who looks at the opposition and looks at the traditional elite of the country, if you like, um, as, as with great, uh, great uh, distrust, basically, and still does not trust the opposition to actually uh, bring about um, fairness and, and, and equity and, and, and access to power for all in, in, in Venezuelan society, and, and that is the and that is the, 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 the roots of the, of the of the remaining loyalty that that, that exists to Medora, a combination of you know, ideological and, and no doubt the, the 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 interest, the material interest of certain people in continuing to have. Access to power and access to the uh, possibilities of of making money in in what is an oil state fundamentally.
0: So so one consensus I'm seeing emerging among experts, um, and I, I would like to put this question to you is that right now what's key is, is the role of the military and the security services. That you know as we're speaking, they yeah. still retain loyalty to Maduro, um, but to the extent that they might abandon Maduro and back Guaido. Uh, that is when we'll know that this um, move, this this daring political move by Juan Guaido, is is successful. Can can you talk a, a bit about one if you agree with that assessment, and two, um, what role the security services are playing and and can play and and might be able to play to ensure that this does not descend into some really you know god awful places.
1: I mean, here we're we're. We... This is precisely at the center of, of, of all attention now. If an opposition politician in an authoritarian regime declares himself, even with public support and the acclamation of, of all parties in the opposition and foreign countries, declares himself to be an interim president, um, but does not have a control over the, uh, the, 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 the most Important structures of coercive power in the country, the security forces, the armed forces. Then it's a hollow gesture. Fundamentally, it's the creation of a parallel government with no uh, real ability to, uh, to 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 claim that it uh, that authority, real uh, authority over over the country. No capacity to deliver government programs. No capacity to, to police the streets. No capacity to uh, do anything, for the the, the people, uh, nor to 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 rule brutally or otherwise. Uh, and this is the this is the <laughs> we're in the situation at the moment. We simply don't know. The assumption has to be that this decision to declare Guaido an interim president on on the twenty third was based on the on the, the perception that there were to be parts of the military which would defect, which would abandon their loyalty to Nicolás Maduro and either go to the side of Guaido or become arbiters um, in a future negotiation and transition potentially leading to to elections. Thus far, we have not seen these defections happen. Indeed, just today, the 24th, we have seen a, a series of declarations of loyalty by the armed forces uh, and it remains to be seen whether that will change or whether parts of the armed forces will change their mind the problem here is that obviously if if none of them do we have in our hands a hollow gesture by the uh, by the opposition with with no substance behind it we have the the risk the very strong risk that there will be a violent crackdown against the opposition potentially including the outright dissolution of the National Assembly in the coming days and weeks. And we have the third and perhaps most worrying possibility that in response to a crackdown by the government or the mistreatment of Juan Guaido, the the calls for foreign military intervention, particularly from the U.S. and from its Latin American allies who support Guaido, will intensify and that's where it becomes very difficult to see um exactly what will happen what the effects will be in Venezuela.
0: well well that kind of leads me into my my next question which is the the role and the effect of the country of the fact that some countries have lined up behind guaidó and some have lined up behind maduro what what effect is that having on the ground
1: well um on on the ground in in, in Venezuela I, I presume you mean it it 's purely a reflection of the division and polarization within within Venezuelan society that has now assumed uh, geopolitical tints, so what was formerly to a degree merely a venezuelan internal political matter until let's say three or four years ago has become part of a broader geopolitical divide with all its confusions and uncertainties and doubts as to whether the supreme multilateral institutions, the UN, for example, will actually be able to respond to any deepening of this crisis.
0: I mean, I I would doubt it. You know, it seems like it's going the way of Syria in terms of the the great powers picking opposite sides, which paralyzes the Security Council.
1: You've got Russia and China and Turkey and Iran. Um, outside the region who have supported Maduro. You've got within the region Bolivia, Nicaragua, and Cuba that have supported the government. You um, have Mexico and, the, and Uruguay who have declared themselves neutral and disposed to support any negotiations. And then you have a host of other Latin American countries, obviously alongside the U.S. and Canada, who have opposed to Maduro and, and have declared Guaido the interim president. And these include the neighboring countries of, of Venezuela, Colombia, and Brazil the two countries most affected by Venezuelan mass migration in the recent years. So in effect, you have a series of fronts which have been created. Now, at the same time, would Russia and China or those other allies actually step up to support Venezuela militarily in the case of a real escalation in hostilities? There are serious doubts as to that, just as there are doubts as to whether the United States and its Latin American allies would actually dare to intervene militarily in a context where the risk of an explosive escalation or perpetuation of low-intensity conflict are very high. Let's not forget that in Venezuela, there are numerous state and non-state armed actors there is the highest murder rate in the world and there is a huge prevalence of firearms. This is not a context in which uh, an armed force, an external armed force, would wish to (laughs) engage in an occupation over the long term. The other possibility, of course, would be a surgical strike, I suppose, um, aimed at certain parts of the sitting Venezuelan government, Maduro, the chiefs of the armed forces, But again, the risks of of causing a broader conflagration in Venezuela and the region remain extremely high.
0: Do you think it was a mistake for the United States and the OAS and other countries to recognize uh, Guaido as the president so quickly?
1: If that was a call based on the certainty that there was a substantial part of the government uh, and the armed forces that would defect, and would declare itself either neutral or opposed to Maduro, there is some reason to believe that that is a sensible move. If that was based on a hunch, um, uh, a belief that facts on the ground could be created by a verbal declaration without any sustenance or a basis behind it in, in the reality in Venezuela, then it was, uh, it was premature, and it was reckless.
0: What will, what events or any contingencies will you be looking for in the coming days and weeks that will suggest to you how this situation might unfold in the broader trajectory of this crisis?
1: I think uh, in the immediate term, as i said already, obviously we have to look at the movement of military loyalties, the the, the, the first impressions we're having at the moment if they're staying aligned to Maduro. Second, we have to look at the agitation on the streets. Do these marches and protests, which you've seen in recent days, continue and get worse, or do they subside? Along with that, we also have the question of the level of government repression. Um, Weekend, we will be coming this weekend, we will be coming to a particularly thorny issue, which is what happens to the US embassy. As you may know, as your as your listeners may know, the uh, in reaction to the US recognition of Guaido, uh, Maduro severed all ties with the US, um, the US, and declared that the embassy staff there would have to leave within 72 hours. Obviously, the US doesn't recognise Maduro's authority to make that call. So, what will happen to the US embassy staff? Will there be a siege? Uh, will they leave? Anyway, um, and what is the possibility that this standoff, potential standoff, will actually lead to the issue being discussed in a higher geopolitical level? Will there be talks in the UN? Will there be some form of uh, informal negotiation between the US, Latin American countries, Russia and China? Is there any possibility of really getting negotiations uh, going, building the confidence necessary for negotiations? Can these Assorted international powers come together and recognize that the situation in Venezuela is dire, that there is there should be no supreme winner, that neither side can just assume total control and and say the situation is resolved. There needs to be a compromise. There needs to be a space for negotiation. Is there any possibility of generating space for that? Or are we looking just at the route towards deeper polarization, hostilities and more misery for the Venezuelan people?
0: Uh, Well, Ivan, we will have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. This was uh, clarifying. Okay. (laughs) Thank you very much indeed. All right. Thank you all for listening. Big thank you to Ivan Briscoe for speaking with me on such short notice. I I caught up with him uh, while he was at a conference on Latin American security, as it turns out. He was in Belize, and he kindly stepped out of his conference to take the call on his cell phone, which is why the... Connection is is a little uh, fuzzier than my typical audio production. In any case, I am extremely glad that he took the time to speak with me. I found this really helpful. Uh, As I mentioned at the outset, if you are a regular listener to the show, do check out that referral program. Basically, all you have to do is share a special link of the show with your friends and colleagues, and you'll unlock rewards that I'll send you. Everyone wins.